Hello, and welcome to another episode of In Conversation. I'm Pat King, your host and a contributor at Years to Feed. Today's guest is David Beck of the exuberant Pittsburgh indie rock band String Machine. After two full lengths that took the approach of solo records with an open door policy for collaboration, Beck was able to be more direct in his songwriting on the band's tremendous new album, Hallelujah, Hell Yeah. Now operating as a solidified seven-piece, the songs that Beck wrote for the album combined the bombast of early aughts indie rock bands like The Arcade Fire and The New Pornographers, with an emphasis on hooks that doesn't overshadow his ability to convey moments of catharsis. In this conversation, we discuss Hallelujah, Hell Yeah, how to pay respects to our heroes in underground music, his growth as a songwriter, the influence of artists like Tom Petty in Motion City Soundtrack, keeping a safe distance from social media, and so much more. I hope you enjoy! What's up, man? How you doing? Doing good, man. Just, uh, we're having our album listening party tonight, so just preparing for that, and yeah, just cool yeah just getting through the day how are you doing i'm I'm good i'm good i'm having like a having like a really weird morning uh so this band i i love uh called the sadies from canada okay they're like they're this long running kind of like hard to explain they're like they kind of mix like everything i love it's like psychedelic garage rock kind of um like hillbilly music, surf rock, mm-hmm. um, you know, all this stuff kind of mixed into one. It's like a four piece. It's it's two brothers. It's Dallas and Travis Good, and then like an upright bass player and a drummer. And they've been around forever. They've they've they were like the backing band for Nico Case, like on a, okay. on a couple records, cool. and, and just really really amazing. Like one of the best live bands ever. But the lead kind of like the lead songwriter and one of the guitarists uh Dallas Good uh passed away. Oh and like, man. Oh. Yeah, it's it's like such a bummer and um it's like one of those bands where I was like um I would I would like see them every year and I had like a dream about them this week and was mm. like oh like next time they play like they would play Union Pool in Brooklyn all the time mm. and I I live in Philly now and was like oh I would I would thinking to myself like oh i would definitely like drive back like if they played union pool again and yeah and then this morning finding out he passed away was just like such a surreal weird oh. bummer yeah that's and a it, huge bummer i'm sorry yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um it, it kind of got me thinking though and I, I think this is just kind of like a good topic to kind of get you know into just talking and kind of talking about music because I've never met you and mm-hmm. I'm sure you have feelings about this mm-hmm. um but just kind of like you know this is a band that means the world to me but I'm not sure like how well they're known and like just kind of the idea of like cherishing our underground heroes mm-hmm. and like in this weird time of like I, I guess we're going to shows now and stuff but um, like as, as cities are lifting mandates and stuff and it's, mm-hmm. it's getting a little safer, but man, just like the last two years, like two or three years have just been like such a hard time for, you know, 
musicians that aren't like the weekend yeah <laughs> or, you Absolutely. know you know what i mean yeah i mean like i don't know how, how have you been kind of viewing that in regards to like paying respects to um you know because I'm, I'm sure like your heroes are, are people you know who kind of exist in that space as well like how, how have you been um viewing it yeah i mean i guess that it's i feel like it's opened a lot of eyes to the current situation which i think is valuable like um you know like without touring there really is nothing for these smaller acts you know and with the current state of like streaming services and whatnot you know i think it's as we i feel like people have always been aware of um you know how bad of a situation that is but i think we're even more intimately aware with it because a lot of these musicians are broke now and being like oh man like sometimes it really is hard to like rationalize especially when you can't play shows you don't get that i mean i thrive on the face-to-face connection like seeing people and enjoying music together kind of uh thing um so i guess yeah i don't know i i it's tough i mean and and then it also brings to the realization that these like one band that definitely fits this mold that like we're obsessed with. Have you ever heard of Weatherbox? No, no. Uh, that's a band. They're like a band from San Diego, and we are like obsessed with them. Like uh, like our group of friends, and we sometimes wonder if it's like weird for them. Like I wonder if they're aware of our little group of like twenty people who are just like diehard fans because they're like. A relatively smaller band they have to see all the like geeking we do on the internet about their band and stuff. <laughs> right, right, so yeah you know but um yeah these smaller band i don't know yeah it's yeah yeah it's been tough you know i i remember i, I think it was i remember hearing someone say that like david berman of the silver jews said like like he had he had only like i think it was like only a handful of times like someone actually gave him a compliment about his music like to his face but i'm I'm sure that could have been like a bermanism you know kind of just like you know but it's it's so true i i feel like sometimes we we kind of like especially people who are fans of like underground music um you know we kind of i don't want to say lionize but we you know we prop up these figures in our in our heads but then we we forget that you know it's the disparity of it all it's yeah like yeah exactly like if david crosby is struggling enough to like have to sell his whole catalog it's like yeah uh, i mean if that's where david crosby is imagine where like you know anyone anyone is you know like i mean i feel like (laughs) that's the gold standard of someone who should have their like like someone who we assume has their shit together in the music business but like you know times have definitely been tough and you know I guess our position and all lucky enough we like so we got off touring and we had like a we made some money off selling our last record and we made it a point to just like I mean and that was right before shutdown and we definitely made it a huge point to like try and donate like the majority of that money just to keep the places I mean even small venues small booking agents promoters around Pittsburgh we were throwing money towards them just to not only show them how grateful we are for what they do, but also to like keep them alive, you know? And yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, the same applies to like the smaller bands that, uh, you know, it's definitely been a struggle for sure. Where, where's the listening party tonight? Is it like a DIY space or is it? Um, yeah, we're having the listening party tonight at a play at a record store in Pittsburgh called the government center. Uh, Oh, cool. Yeah. And they've been, we've been really close with them for a while and we wanted to have a situation. We wanted to have an event that would be a little smaller scale than like the release show, you know, cause um, you know, people have varying comfort levels in public spaces now. So we wanted to make sure that we could celebrate with the people who were comfortable in a smaller setting rather than like a huge venue setting. Um, and also we're just really excited to have the vinyl and, you know, the vinyl shortage yeah. is also another factor in this whole thing. That's really tough for a lot of indie labels and bands right now is just, uh, are you aware of the like the vinyl like oh yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah yeah like that that whole factor is definitely a thing but like we we're just excited to have like the test pressing and you know we just want to you know celebrate and listen to it together you know and um oh that's yeah. awesome yeah are, 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 are y'all playing too or is it just uh, listening to the record yeah so we're not actually going to be playing um but we're going to have our mem- a member of our band, Dylan, who goes by Ron Mist. Uh, he's going to be DJing because he has an, a, an excellent electronic album that he released like last year. Um, so he'll be doing a set. And then we have a reader like um, there's a local. Well, the singer of Brightside, who's playing our release show. Um, they just released a new um short story collection that we're going to have them read from you know to keep the vibes intimate and stuff you know and then and yeah we're hoping it's just a nice little nice little thing that we can all be together you know we're excited for that you know and yeah it should be cool awesome i mean yeah the, the record at the time i'm speaking to you um it's it's a week out from when the record's coming out right it comes out next friday yep um yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, how are you? How are you feeling? How are, how are you feeling about the record being done? And I'm, I'm sure, you know. Um, I mean, I've I've listened to it a bunch, and and I I think it's incredible. Thank you. But, um, yeah. I do. You kind of still get those kind of. I mean, this is the band's third record. Mm-hmm. Um, do you kind of get those? Uh, you know, I don't want to say butterflies, but I don't know, just like kind of the weird. Uh. I guess like anticipation kind of tingles before yeah, record absolutely. comes out still. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And especially because it feels like our first it this record feels like our first record, you know, because everything else, um it, every other album was created differently, you know, and this mm-hmm. and this record specifically feels like us uh, you know, figuring out how to work together as a band. So it, it has that collective excitement too, you know, amongst us all. It's something that we're all so proud of um, and worked really hard for. And, and uh, yeah, it's actually kind of crazy. I mean, sometimes I have to remind myself of like the la- of what the last two years has been, you know, cause you know, you kind of just go day by day, week by week, you know, finish one thing, finish another thing. And then it's like, sometimes you have to remind yourself like, Oh damn comes out next week like uh, (laughs) remember you know remember the first you know it's weird to even go back to the first recording session and being like and thinking how mountainous of a thing we were getting ourselves into you know like oh wow this is a lot of work and then yeah to finally be at the finish line and releasing is definitely 
definitely butterflies all the above for sure yeah yeah can can you talk about how this record feels like the first record uh for string machine because you know listening to the first two you know it, it definitely i i see what you mean like there there is kind of like um a more kind of like this record feels a lot more cohesive in a sense as as to where like you can kind of feel a band playing together and kind mm-hmm. of piecing the songs together as to where the first two kind of feel like solo records with um kind of like an open door policy and they mm-hmm. they kind of let the arrangements kind of sprawl and and they're kind of unpredictable song to song like i i guess what was like if you could kind of differentiate between this record and those old records i guess like what has string machine become now um yeah i mean it was exactly what you were saying it was kind of i mean the first record especially i mean that was the that the making of that record kind of birthed the band you know it was kind of like a solo project and i was just had a bunch of friends like i was in a network of people who you know you just I'd just be like, "Hey, Laurel, want to come sing on this?" Or, "Hey, Ian, want to come play trumpet on this?" And it very, it very quickly became like, "Well, now I need a live band to like bring this to a live setting," you know. And mm-hmm. you know, who better than the people who did it, you know? And the second record, we were, you know, "Death for the Neon," "Death of the Neon." We were starting to like understand how to work together, you know, because I think it's like a crazy, you know, we're all familiar with how to work as like a three piece or four piece band. But when it gets to seven piece, you know, you kind of have to figure out and shape and uh, dis- discover and rediscover the dynamics in of, of the creative, you know, uh, environment. So this this new record definitely feels like us in full swing, like where it was fully collaborative. Um, and we knew that was so that was we knew that was very necessary because we wanted to make something that we were all proud of, you know. And yeah, I mean, it was a lot different just because before, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I would write songs, I would write the lyrics, record demos, and then maybe swap out the instrument demos that I did with someone else playing that instrument. But this time around, it's it's you know, we made a record together. You know, it's it feels like okay you know like this is yeah it it feels like you know we finally figured it out how to do it you know and yeah it it feels like i mean every song you know is is just kind of bursting with these big hooks and and i get the sense listening to it that you are kind of writing for your band in in a sense Mm -hmm. like where where i don't know is is that something that you felt as well like kind of bringing these tunes to kind of impress a band or, or kind of get them excited about them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think that it also like without, I didn't have to consider too much beyond the song, you know, like, like my duty was just write verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then bring it to the (laughs) band and see what we could make of it. And, you know, there was probably a revolving door of like 20 different songs that we tested out and, messed with in the in the practice space but um yeah it, it, i i think the the more the structure the structural aspect of the new album definitely came from just yeah like you know i the only thing i have to do now is write a good song and the rest of the band kind of fills the gaps you know 
So yeah, you know <laughs> the the name of the name of the record Hallelujah Hell Yeah is such a beautiful like such a beautiful contradiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I I love just the aspect of being it's such an affirmation mm-hmm. like kind of like a getting to level zero in both divine and devilish qualities. Yeah, yeah. and 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 I kind of that that kind of comes out in in I in I guess like the the majority of the lyrics on this record where it feels very positive uh is is that something that you wanted to achieve you know with the record what i guess when you were kind of sussing out which songs were going to be included did you kind of choose mostly positive material um for the most part i mean i only really brought songs to the table that i thought had you know like i guess i wanted the lyrics to uh you know, because sometimes initial feelings like, you know, sometimes the initial feelings that influence you to write a song are like kind of half baked, you know, like that initial, for example, like if someone steps on your foot at first, you're like pissed off, like, oh, someone stepped on my foot. But then you take a moment to understand like, oh, they didn't mean to do that. It's OK. Like, I'm all good. You know, so I kind of waited for that moment, you know, like I kind of yeah. I kind of wrote it out and wrote it out and wrote it out until the songs felt like they were that they were uh, at the core of it. The feeling of it was uh, from a place of some sort of sort of full circle understanding. Um, and, you know, I think on, on the band's behalf, I think uh, every, I think like death of the neon threads from the youth fossil. I mean, the biggest thing that people would say is that the record doesn't sound like, how we play it live, you know? And I mm-hmm. think with this new record, we really wanted to achieve the energy of our live performance in a rec in, a, in the album, you know, in the recording. Um, and I think hallelujah, hell yeah. I mean, there, I mean, I thought it was a cool play on words and I also thought that like, okay, what's, what, what is, what is, what will like, what is the defining, you know, I was trying to find like an album title that could like define the band, you know, to a certain degree. And when we play live, you know, we just we just let it all out. You know, we you know, I remember telling like Dylan, like, like, I want to write songs that it makes sense for you to, like, put your keyboard on the crowd and like surf on your keyboard on the crowd (laughs) and like, you know, stuff like that, just like crazy stage antics. And I was like, okay, like, you know, I feel like the album title kind of reflects that spirit a little bit, you know, (laughs) like, you know, just just like this crazy joy of the crazy joy of being alive or something, you know? Um, Uh, Yeah. That's beautiful. Cause like, yeah, yeah. Sometimes that like carpe diem, like, you know, you only live once thing. Sometimes it comes from like a negative place, you know, like sometimes it comes from a place of, uh, you know, um, like, like oh like i'm gonna die one day so fuck it might as well you know but it also can come from a place of like i'm alive right now that's amazing you know so i think having them mirror each other like hallelujah and then hell yeah kind of reflects the like the nihilism with the optimism to a certain degree you know and kind of (laughs) kind of shows the full dynamic of just being excited of the, the full spectrum of what it means to be excited to be alive i guess i don't know <laughs> you know so, yeah, yeah. That, i mean that's that's beautiful like to kind of think of i i mean we're, it, it brings to mind what you're talking about with like the keyboard you know kind of like with with your keyboard player dylan uh 
like Motion City soundtrack or something. Oh, absolutely. Like, I remember, that was a I huge remember. that was a huge influence on this record. I've been Yeah, really? Yeah, I've been yeah, cuz I I've always been a huge Motion City soundtrack fan and whenever we were writing and I guess that's another thing is like when we were writing things in the past, it always felt like we couldn't we weren't happy with it unless it we could affirm it with like okay, if this, if it sounds like neutral milk hotel, then we're happy with it. You know, we were like, right. We just like took it weight. We took it really seriously and wanted to make sure that like, you know, our, the influence going into it was stuff that we could like be, you know, artsy about or pretentious about, you know, but with this new record, you know, we, we really wanted to draw in those weird influences like mostly soundtrack, um, you know, Michelle Branch was a big influence to me for the writing of this record and, uh, you know, stuff like that. We just wanted to not be ashamed of what influences we were letting in, you know, and just anything goes kind of policy, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's so funny. I feel like, um, I don't know. I, I feel like one positive aspect of being kind of you know, shut down with a pandemic is kind of erasing guilty pleasures. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like we can all just be honest with ourselves about what we're into. Uh Um, Yeah. And I don't know, like, so was Michelle Branch always something that had been there or, or was, or is that something that like, was that something that you kind of had to have one of those moments with the band where you're like, I'm really into this. This is Uh a primary influence. (laughs) Well, actually funny enough, I, the, when that came up, um one of the collaborators on the record Hal is their name um they sang on two of the songs and I was sending them songs and they were the first person to tell me like hey this reminds me of Michelle Branch and from there I just I just started deep diving like oh that what a weird thing like that was unique to me because everyone always throws like the arcade fire like oh you guys sound like neutral milk hotel arcade fire whatever but to hear that my song sounded like a Michelle Branch song. I was just intrigued. And from there on out, I became obsessed with just like following that kind of, you know, like almost bringing that in as a muse, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's funny now, like I'm, I'm sure maybe five years ago, um, you, you were probably, you probably would have been a little bit more guarded about that. Right. And now it's, yeah. I, I feel like it's such a high compliment because yeah, Michelle Branch, I don't know. She did it, you know? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Like that's, that's like pure pop song craft. Yep. Yeah. And we had a lot of that. It was like, why, you know, like, cause I think it all came with me trying to also rediscover like why I made music in the first place. Like, am I, am I making music to be like, I'm not, I'm realizing it's not very gratifying to like be, you know, I don't know, to, to, be guarded and be metaphorical and poetic like yeah that's cool you know but like i'm by no means trying to like get the you know the same praise that like someone like tom york does you know and i was like if i can just set that aside like why am i making music and i i started really getting back to the the music that draws out some emotions in me you know like those like like mostly soundtrack you listen to like even if it kills me that album and i'm like that I want to make songs. I want to make songs like this, you know, and like, you know, and if we can like make songs that are inspired by Moshe C soundtrack or my chemical romance or blink Wayne too, and we can kind of do them our way, then it's like, who knows, maybe we'll like crack the code and like 
figure out what our sound is without too much, you know, without too much like direct comparison that makes a lot, you know, like. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It, I mean, just taking your own thing and right. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's, it's going to sound different through your own lens regardless. So yeah, like why not? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that was kind of the, that was kind of, you know, that was the whole spirit of the whole making of the album. Like at one point Dylan said that he had like, this was some, this is something that would be brought to practice that in the past I'd be like, I don't know how I'm feeling about that. But he was like, I have this harmony part that I think is like a, is like a Shania Twain song. And uh, (laughs) you know, in the past I would have been like, eh, I don't know about that, man. Like, I don't know if we're really going for Shania Twain with what we're doing, but you know, it was kind of like, yeah, let's let's add it let's throw that in there you know because yeah why, why not? not yeah exactly yeah <laughs> this is like I, yeah 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 it's it's funny i i was like thinking back to i think like the my most listened to album of 2020 like when when we were like really in the shit was the first proclaimers record <laughs> okay I, I don't know if i've ever like, heard of that honestly oh man yeah check it out okay. like th- there was there was a, a point in time where i would just like listen to it front to back over and over again and just find myself weeping like it was oh, just like nice. these two like scottish brothers like barely fitting harmonies together like something about it was just so beautiful and nice. i don't know yeah but and another influence we can't we come from like a rural town this might kind of be similar to that we come from like a very rural town where there's lots of like country music and during mm-hmm. the pandemic i i was i fell in love with a lot of country music and found my li- and what was cool is i found my little pocket of country music you know like putting aside all the truck talk and all the chewing tobacco shit like you know i oh of course you yeah. know like once you dig through like all that like surface level crap you know you can really find a lot of good country artists like you know chris stapleton you know i mean willie nelson redheaded stranger oh it's um, perfect yeah it's a perfect record that's what yeah. i mean like uh so that was a big thing you know yeah for us. I, I grew up i grew up in a in a really small town too and mm-hmm. and kind of like alt country like yeah like alt country and like yeah, that kind of music, like old country, like Willie Nelson, like outlaw stuff, yeah. was like kind of kind of my first love before everything else. Nice. So I, I totally get what you mean. <laughs> yeah, it helped me like because I was I was living in Pittsburgh, and whenever the pandemic really cracked down, I got like laid off my job, and uh, I like hightailed it back home because I didn't know if I was gonna be able to afford rent and all that. And coming back home and remembering my family like dancing on chairs to Randy Travis and stuff like it kind of you know I kind of just naturally fell into that and found myself listening to a lot of country music (laughs) during the pandemic and uh you know did you ever get into uh like Dwight Yoakam or anything like that no but I'm pretty sure Ian likes Dwight Yoakam Uh, one one discovery I found was Blaze Foley during the pandemic oh yeah yeah and I fell in love with Blaze I think I mean Dylan got a tattoo you know inspired by a blaze foley song so we were all like clay pigeons yeah yeah Yeah, he got yeah he got a pigeon on his leg flying with a cigarette in his mouth and he had he has more (laughs) he has a more personal anecdote about it but yeah we were we were all obsessed with blaze foley and uh yeah it's it's funny like um yeah you can now that you're mentioning it you can really i can i at least i can i can i can kind of see 
at least the country structure in like a lot of these songs, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it has like a very storytelling kind of vibe, but also, you know, so focused on hooks. Yeah. Like is, is that something that you consciously saw creeping in or do you now kind of see that as you listen to the record? Yeah. I mean, I definitely wanted to, I think that the hook aspect of it came from kind of that, what I was saying earlier about, uh, reconnecting with why I made music in the first place, you know, um, mm. you know, in past records, I really liked painting the collage and the, you know, the sonic, you know, et cetera, et cetera about it. But with this record, I just kept having a snapshot of, I kept going back to like, I don't remember the song exactly, but I kept going back to like when I was like, 13 or 14 years old and just pouring my heart out into a song and being like, oh, yes, you know, like that feeling of like, I don't know, you feel like you were heard, but like heard by yourself in a weird way. And I just really wanted to reconnect with that and just put it all out there and just and sing things that felt good to sing. Like, yes, like that's, you know, that's like, I don't know, like that's going to be the spearhead that people can connect to to a certain degree. So that was def- right. that was definitely important to me, you know, just making songs that um, were catchy and, you know, but also like held the emotional weight that I always wanted to express in the first place, you know. Yeah, it's it's almost like a Tom Pettyism almost, right? Oh, yeah. It's like it's yeah. like it's like whittling down to be as direct as possible with your messaging. Well, yeah, and that was yeah, admittedly that was a huge influence on me too. Why I was listening to a lot of Wildflowers by Tom Petty yeah. and I loved how, you know, cuz it's uncomfortable to be like it never feels like I don't know, I got at least in my world like being a huge, I mean, considering that like in the aeroplane over the sea is like the gold standard of what I want to achieve, like a record that's that impactful, you know, it's hard to like let yourself be vulnerable and plain spoken when that's your gold standard, like, you know, and there's (laughs) nothing direct or plain spoken about it at all, you know? Right. And it's, it's such a specific experience, you know, that Jeff had on that record. Yeah. So it's like, it's how, how can you capture that magic unless you have something, you know, a, a severe, episode of mental stress you yeah, know <laughs> exactly yeah and i think wildflowers by tom petty was my way of being like oh people consider this an amazing record i consider this an amazing record so like why can't i be plain spoken it kind of like showed me that it's very much okay to be plain spoken sometimes and not always poetic and trying to be you know, interpreted, you know, it's like, I, you know, it's like, that's not important to me anymore, really. You know, it might be, you know, for the next record, you never know, but for this album writing experience, it was, you know, it was about being personal and getting my feelings out on the table and dealing with my grief and, you know, it helped me through a lot. So, you know, just making it. So, (laughs) Yeah, you know, yeah. I figure if it helps me, hopefully it'll help people the same way. You know, that was the that's that's my goal with it. So, yeah, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the opening song on Death of the Neon, uh, Engine, it's time. Yeah, you you kind of talk about um a specific moment where you're up late at night and you're kind of thinking about whether or not someone will, you know, link one of your songs on an Instagram story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's such a specific commentary, I feel, on on how we relate to art mm-hmm. and, and kind of the work we put into it 
and then kind of this release into the unknown, yeah. you know, whether or not people will kind of, you know, respond to it or, or have an attachment to the art. Um, it, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people who don't understand the process, like don't understand what goes into everything, you know, it can take years to make records. Um, was that, I guess in writing that song and then writing this album, has your relationship to the listener in that regard changed in some ways? Like, have you kind of learned to let it go and, and kind of just be like, okay, I'm focusing on this record, whatever comes next is out of my hands. Like, have, have you been able to take it easy in that regard? Yeah. And to be honest, I don't know if I would have been able to take it easy in that regard. If it like, you know, I guess the silver lining in my pandemic experience was the, the quick halt to it all. You know, like whenever it first hit, you know, I was kind of we were really enveloped in the whole, you know, oh, we got to play in front of booking agents. You know, we got to, you know, that pressure was there to like to like follow through with the momentum. So to have that to have that halt just for everyone, including ourselves, was kind of like the I guess, you know, if there were any was there if there was any silver lining to my like you know, pandemic experience, it'd be just the fact that I really got the opportunity to kind of like let go, you know, of, of what people thought or who I was trying to impress and just kind of make the music for ourselves. And I think that lent, I think that naturally lent to like our open door policy with influence, you know, who are we letting influence us? And, you know, it's like, we got to make the music for us. And I think with this last record, I rediscovered how to do that. I re I really did rediscover how to make the music for myself. And, and, uh, that was, that was great, you know? Um, so my relationship has definitely changed with it, you know? Um, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in regards to just technology in general, are you, are you kind of, I don't know. I, 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 some, so as as a writer, I feel mm -hmm. like I kind of have to be, you know, online yeah. to a certain respects. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like during the pandemic, it was great because I was I was meeting all these people and like getting connections and stuff. But there I, I really there are moments where I catch myself and it, it's really kind of a depressing feeling. Like if if I'm reading something on Twitter and like chuckling to myself about it and then like I talked to my wife and like, I referenced this thing that made me laugh that she has no idea about or yeah. something. <laughs> or yeah. Like, yeah. like uh -huh. it's this weird kind of like realignment of your brain. I don't know. Like how, like, are you, are you able to separate everything? Like, are you, are you kind of keeping technology at a distance or how do you feel about it these days? Um, I think that like my experience with like right now and um, like with a lot of our graphic design and the content we put out there i i try to keep the the branding like i don't know i like to keep the aura of our of me in it you know what i mean with the hand mm. handwritten stuff i like to i don't like using fonts like all the type, <laughs> typeface we use is like scanned from a magazine i found and you know i select the different letters out so it's like if i can treat social media like i like i don't know i guess it, i'm just trying to like discover how i can bridge the gap between like that face-to-face -face human connection and like the online connection and 
I definitely like am trying to get better about my boundaries with it too. You know, like during the album cycle, I have to, you know, I have to be on it like all the time, yeah, right. like, you know, and I guess I don't have to be, but it's like one of those things. It's like, okay, yeah. Like you got to promote your record. You got to do that. But, um, I'm definitely looking forward to like doing one of those like breaks or whatever, like social media <laughs> detox kind of era, you know, where I can delete all the apps off my phone for a month and kind of like, be away from it so i i you know but it's also a great you know as you know it's also great for what it's great for and yeah um you know it's it's fine it's it's something <laughs> you know you know and, and i i definitely like uh i'm trying to find a way like to integrate like our actual reality into like poetry you know like i admire yeah. i admire writers like frank ocean who can just like speak so candidly about like our generation and the weird things we have to go through. And I've been trying to discover my own little way of doing that. Cause it's like Instagram, that word itself doesn't feel poetic. So it was almost like, yeah, it almost felt uncomfortable to put in that song, but it was like, well, like that's, I mean, that's what, you know, I can't keep writing like I'm from the 1930s or something, you know, like that's not <laughs> relatable anymore, you know? And like, like, um, so. Yeah, the like the notion of like writing it's funny, like the notion of writing a timeless song, right? Like yeah. because I, I, I just think everything, especially now, we're kicked into this kind of hyperdrive where technology is just moving at such a fast rate and, mm -hmm. and there are all these innovations that change the way we live our lives that like you can't really yeah, like what are you gonna do? Just like, yeah, like not not acknowledge that they're there. Yeah, exactly. Know. Yeah, and that's what's weird, I guess, is that like how it doesn't feel timeless because it's like someone from the 1980s wouldn't know what the fuck I was talking about. <laughs> I said, Instagram, yeah, right. You know yeah. what I mean? So, but I don't know. It's kind of cool to like acknowledge, like, like I don't know. Like I think, it, like I guess this is a really specific instance, but I think it's really interesting that like the social network, the movie got made when it did, because it's like he almost like preemptively like understood how much of an impact it was going to continue to have, you know? Right. Like so, it's mm -hmm. almost like weird to like look back on that and be like, I don't know, like what you know? I guess Instagram is the social platform I, <laughs> you know. <laughs> bet on its longevity you know i don't know like for that song i guess you know like i don't know but i i remember this so i was like working on a newspaper once and um i interviewed this this company i, I don't think they're around anymore but they were called i think it was called like hashtag paid or something mm -hmm. and it was like um it was basically like a firm that would represent influencers so it was like you know they would like kind of hook up these influencers with the brands that they would you know, hawk on, on Instagram and stuff. Mm -hmm. And the guy who ran the company was explaining to me, he was like, yeah, Instagram is the new magazine. It's <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> was like, what? what? And yeah. he was like, yeah, if, if you just, yeah. Cause it's just like you scroll and it's these big glossy images. Mm -hmm. And like, now it's just your own curated magazine. And yeah. I was like, oh, I hate that you're right. Yeah. I hate that you're right about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot to say about social media and stuff, you know, like, you know, but yeah, yeah I try, I just try to have my own like boundaries with it, I guess. And, and like recently I've, I've been like, I've been reckoning with the fact that like, okay, like I need to start 
like legitimizing it to myself that this is something that like I could get like it could become a habit, you know, like I, yeah. you know, I try and it's weird because it's it's a lot like quitting cigarettes, like for me, you know, <laughs> like it's weird how like that is right now, you know, like, and I don't know if that's like as like, I don't know, like, I wonder if there's going to be a day where it's like acknowledged with like a surgeon general warning or something, you know, like, yeah, you know, like I, I mean, sometimes I mean... wonder that, you know. Yeah, you, you talked about like a social media detox. Like, I wonder if there will be centers for that. Yeah. Like where where they just like keep your phone locked somewhere and you just kind of like yeah. hang out in the wide open or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder the same thing, you know, because like it's it, it's very much the same sensation. Like I'll wake up in the morning and my phone's right there. First thing I do is grab it, look at it, you know, scroll for half hour. And then you just feel like yucky all day after doing that for some reason, yeah. you know, so it's weird that I even have to put that boundary in place where like, okay, I'm going to leave it off in a different room, you know, to like remind myself, get some coffee, you know, have your nicotine pouch before you look <laughs> at shit on the internet. That's going to upset yeah. you, you know, like you Hel know. healthier addictions. Yeah. You know, coffee, <laughs> yeah, <nicotine. exactly>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, you got to get those out of the way. So you're not like, just pissed off when you look like read stuff you know it's not yeah getting on twitter and just being like oh another bad thing happened great you know like <laughs> oh yeah or or just something that you think is like major and it's totally just like like something that made you angry or something yeah I don't know. exactly yeah it's it's weird yeah. some weird. some like dumb take that you like took way too mm -hmm. seriously i don't know yeah for sure yeah um, so let's talk about like actual human connection. Uh, so you're about to go on tour. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very nice. excited about it. Yeah. it will be, yeah. The first full band tour we've done since January, 2020. So definitely excited oh, awesome. about it. Yeah. Are you, are you doing like full us or like, what's it going to be? Um, so this tour in March, I think we're just doing like some, you know, hitting all the big spots that we can like in the, in, on the East or whatever, you know, Eastern side of the U S um, so, you know, we hit like D.C., Philly, Brooklyn, Boston, and then we hopped the whole way over to Buffalo, Detroit and Chicago. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I live like so I, I just moved to Philly from Brooklyn. I like about six months ago or something. And I live like a couple blocks away from Johnny Brenda. Oh, nice. Y'all are playing. I'm, I'm pumped to go. Nice. Yeah. And the band we're playing with Kara Kara. That was pretty great to be able to link that up because there was a few members of string machine who were like fans of that band and fans of the, you know, of Will Yip, you know, and stuff like that. So we're just very excited to do that tour for sure. Um, hell, hell yeah, man. And then there'll, we'll, we'll, then there'll be some touring, you know, we have some like, you know, you know, other, other cities we're going to be hitting like the summer and, and fall, you know? So, um, yeah, very excited to get out on the road, you know? Sweet. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for doing this podcast. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. It's been great <laughs> it's meeting you. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully I'll see you at Johnny Brenda's. Oh, that would be great. I'd love to see you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. man. Take care. All right. You too.